My title this morning, Be the World You Want to See, is pretty obvious takeoff from the words of Mohandas Gandhi, the Mahatma, the great soul, who instructed us to be the change we want to see in the world. In less poetic terms, the statement says, if we want to change anything about the world, we have to begin inside ourselves with a change of heart, a change of understanding, so that what is within us each exemplifies what we want to see outside of us, but on a much larger scale. For instance, if we truly want to see significant, consistent, lasting peace in the world, we must first create a state of peace in our individual hearts and in our spirits that is consistent and lasting, as without, so within. Not an easy undertaking by any, any stretch of the imagination or any standards. And that's only one aspect of things we might like to change. But I'm sure you get the idea. I tried to frame the idea in a way that leaves us enough room to be a tad less focused on one idea and more engaged on multi-levels and be a little bit more multifaceted and human and imperfect striving for improvement and still earnestly working towards noble ideals. While each of us might imagine the perfect world in a very different way from the next, my guess is that all of us would prefer to see a world resplendent with wondrous variety of beautiful color, interesting sights, sounds, experiences, and people. Be the world you want to see is my effort to make Gandhi's idea refer to us both as individuals and as a community or a collection of people. Each Sunday, we offer here a unison affirmation. Together we proclaim that we are committed to a search for truth, committed to service, to peaceful relations, to seeking knowledge and freedom, and to serving human need. Serving human need is a big one. Earlier during the meditation, reflect, reflection, whatever you would like to call it, um, did any of you imagine people being treated as less than or strata where there are haves and have-nots? No, you didn't. That doesn't fit with any of the ideals that have drawn us to this place. 
The first principle of Unitarian Universalism affirms and promotes the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Inherent worth. Value that belongs to them simply because they exist. That is an inseparable aspect of every person's humanness, whether they contribute to society or not, whether they are able-bodied or not, competent or not, likable or not, and dignity, that every person is worthy of respect and esteem, whether hero or hobo, mother or murderer, kid or criminal, pacifist or politician, soldier or student, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. We've made part of our religious identity and denominationally articulated moral values and ideals that are included in the Declaration of Independence with appropriate gender modification, that all people are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We claim them. We believe them. And I believe we try very hard to honor those ideals. Nevertheless, we all have biases and preferences. Some we're aware of and some, I'm sure, are far less obvious to us. Some we might even feel just fine about maintaining. Though even those should be questioned. Last night I went to a dinner and I overheard a couple of gentlemen um, talking about their sense that people just automatically have a bias for people that look good. Is that true for us? There are films built entirely around people's lack of trust for people unlike themselves. Racial differences, orientation differences, religious differences, personality differences. They all make good plots. But how does one begin to generate change in things that can become such second nature? There are types of people, perhaps even groups of people, around which each of us is less comfortable than we are around other people. Some of it is responses. Some of those responses are chemical. Some of them are physiological. Some of them are psychological. Some are leftover programs from childhood, family, and cultural biases. Sometimes the way we experience others is our response to triggers and cues, whether consciously or unconsciously. 
it would be quite a character-building exercise to make conscious, then identify, evaluate each of these preferences, and then evaluate the way you evaluate these preferences, biases, prejudices, all the ones that one could find in one's own patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving. Wow, (laughs) that's a big job. To intentionally pull all of those up to the light of day and shake them out in the air a little bit so you can get a good look at them and a good sense about where they're coming from in ourselves. Not simply for the sake of validating preformed conclusions, but to question the rationale, the attitudes, and the justification behind each one of them. Is this response or that thought reaction coming from a place of love, respect, acceptance, and compassion? Or might it actually be founded in fear, bitterness, contempt, jealousy, or arrogance? Are we as adept at recognizing our own biases as we are at identifying those of others? Like the passage from Luke about seeing the speck in someone else's eye and not seeing the log or not being aware of the log in our own. When our gauges get stuck, they need to be recalibrated. So are you genuinely, genuinely happy with yourself and what you know of the world around you? Personally, I think if you are, you may not be paying very close attention, but... If not, then maybe it's time to try a new approach. Yesterday, in a compelling speech that she made announcing the suspension of her candidacy for president and endorsing Barack Obama, Senator Hillary Clinton said, there are no acceptable prejudices in the 21st century. Now, I can't say that I've considered the statement anywhere near thoroughly enough to speak to its ultimate truth. But I can say that it strikes me as a profoundly worthy notion that at least at first blush seems to again reiterate the ideal of inherent worth and dignity. That brings me to the second half of this morning's title which is our prophetic responsibility. Be the world you want to see, dash, our prophetic responsibility. Um, In the course of my religious studies, I was taught that biblically, 
to prophesy is not only to foretell, you know, and, and predict what's going to happen, but also, and more often, forth-telling. The act of speaking out, acknowledging things that others would prefer not to hear or see, giving voice to unpopular truths, warning about potential consequences for uh, disregarding matters of significance, like neglect or harsh or unjust treatment of others. We're in a unique position to carry a healing and prophetic message to the people in our community. People who need to hear it. Our message is simple. No matter who you are, you're valuable. You're welcome here. I don't really know how many of, of you have previously been in a part of a tradition that, t- that told you, as the one I grew up, that you were unacceptable, lost, hopeless, unworthy, or perhaps even abominations. If you're familiar with these teachings or experiences, you probably have some understanding of how desperately one can need to hear our simple message. We're not often much on evangelizing. But we don't need to whisper. And we don't need to hide our light under a bushel. We can replace that mortal fear with hope and life. Historically, the universalist part of our tradition has held that God is too loving and beneficent to condemn anyone to eternal damnation for acts committed on a temporal plane. Who can guess how many individuals in the surrounding community are filled with self-hate, doubt, or shame simply because they've never been embraced as a human, worthy of love and acceptance for exactly who they are at their core and at their essence. We can give them that precious gift. If they know we feel that way. But it'll take more than just saying it. It'll take our knowing it with our own experience as authentic. Which brings me back to being the world we want to see. We come to know the value of others by witnessing the value in our own midst and in ourselves. I would love to share the story of the rabbi's gift, but the service is running a little long. Some of you know it already. The, uh, a monastery is dying, and the abbot goes to see a rabbi uh, searching for some advice. And the rabbi tells him that the Messiah is among the people in the monastery. And he goes back and he tells the monks, and they all begin to behave differently. 
looking for the Messiah in each other. And wondering if it might be them. Learning to look for and actually see the Messiah, the inherent worth and beauty of each perfectly imperfect human being. The source in those around us and in ourselves takes the courage to risk openness. Those who master the knack seem to infuse their surroundings with new life, just like the monks in the story would have if I had told you that part. (laughs) How deeply can we look into ourselves? How clearly are we willing to see ourselves? There are so many young people, young adults, midlifers, and aging individuals who would find tremendous relief in the words of encouragement we can offer them that others cannot. Think about how you felt when you first found All Souls. I know for me it was a place of belonging that I never thought I would find. The way we become able to share ideals of love, hope, peace, generosity, light, joy, abundance, acceptance, kindness, respect, and service to the world around us is by learning to embody those same ideals in our interactions with each other. Which in turn comes to cultivating them within ourselves. To do it takes self-examination, faith in the value of that effort, and the tenacity to stay with it. Each piece we create in our own lives brings that virtue that much closer to being a part of the world. I believe we are as people, as a congregation, and as a nation very much in the process of moving from those interesting times that are part of the Chinese curse into powerful and exciting times of changes long awaited and long overdue. And while these changes will no doubt create new and potentially equally challenging situations, we can at least be a significant part of this set of solutions. As we begin in our hearts to be the world we want to see, we become genuinely capable of contributing to that vision's manifestation in the world around us.